Tom Gerhardt and Dan Provost are the guys behind Studio Neat. On this show, we discuss entrepreneurship, product design, and all of the ups and downs that come with running a small business. I'm Mike Hurley, and this is Thoroughly Considered. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've spoken, um, and in between the last episode and this episode, the OB Kickstarter is over, um, and you know anybody can go and check this. It didn't make its goal. So I just wanted to spend a few minutes talking about that, um, and we can maybe address it in more detail a little later on, because Dan, I know that you're looking to write something up about this. Um, so I just kind of wanted to know how you feel about this now, um, given you know the conversations that we've had in the past. I'd say res- resigned. <laughs> it's funny. I don't feel much different than, uh, you know, even a couple of weeks ago when there was a still a chance of it kind of uh, happening. I think Dan and I both kind of went through all the stages of, uh, you know, mourning kind of like really early. So, um, you know, the writing on the wall became pretty clear. And so I think we just kind of mentally moved on in some ways, which is somewhat of a shame, but... Um, I think, you know, basically the long and the short of it is it was pretty clear like this, the Kickstarter got a lot of attention, like more attention than some of our other successful ones that were had big, you know, that had big uh, raises. Um, But the conversion rate just wasn't there. So, I mean, I think it's, it's really clear. It's not a huge mystery, like, like why it didn't work necessarily. Um, so it's just kind of, I think we're still trying to learn from it, but you know, in general, it's kind of is what it is. How are you feeling Dan? Uh, I feel good. I mean, I think, uh, kind of mentally and emotionally I've been able to move on from it, uh, which is good. I mean, to be honest that (laughs) the past month, uh, of like, going through the OB campaign was probably the the kind of darkest uh, studio neat period for me at, at least, like, kind of like the most worrisome and depressing. Uh, but uh, I think we were both able to move on from it uh, pretty quickly, relatively quickly. And um, yeah, I think there's, uh, you know, we've always said that one of Kickstarter's strengths is idea validation. And if a project fails, that's actually a good thing because you're saving yourself, you know, potentially thousands of dollars of investment in trying to make this thing that nobody wants. So when you look at it through that light, uh, it's like we were using Kickstarter correctly. Like it did exactly what it was supposed to do and that it told us we designed this thing that maybe there wasn't a big enough audience for. So when I think of it in those terms, then it's just like, okay, like it's a bummer. It didn't work, but like this, the system works basically. Is OB dead now? Uh, I think it's, I mean, this could change, but I think it's dead for us. Um, and and I actually want to touch on something that Dan just said. He said, um, you know, he said basically like something that no one wants, right? And it's it's wrong because some people do want it, right? Um, and there's probably quite a few people out there in the world that want it. But I think the thing that's really clear to us is that um, the product 
Ovi just doesn't work for us as a product right now. Um, and that's also why I think it's kind of dead um, to us in some ways, because, you know, um, the products we make kind of need to have a certain margin and need to be at a certain scale for them to like work for our company. And, you know, it just became clear really quickly that OB is not that product. Um, and so it's kind of a shame because, you know, we had a lot of backers, right, who wanted it and liked it. Um, but it it just didn't work. It just doesn't work for us. It's not a good match for the company. And for us to make the changes required to uh, to kind of have Obi work for us, it wouldn't be the product we'd want to make anymore, if that makes any sense. So, so basically the, from what we can kind of discern, what we would need to do to make Obi kind of, um, work and, and sell, sell and be popular. It seems like we would be, need to make changes that, uh, would compromise a lot of the reasons why we wanted to make Obi in the first place. So I think it's for us, it's just really, uh, chalking it up to, it just didn't work out this time and and maybe that will change but um at this point yeah it's 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 dead all right let's you guys haven't stopped though you've been working on new things and you started working on things during the kickstarter process for ob so there's two kind of little projects that you've been working on um and i want to start on probably the the more minor of those which is the kind of, what what do you call it, the Apple Watch charging clip? What's what's the real name for it? I can't think of it. Yeah, that's I think that's what we're referring to it as. It doesn't have like a catchy name. It doesn't have a ca- a catchy name. Yeah, eye clip. Eye clip. <laughs> oh god. With a uh, with two piece <laughs> and a Y. There we go. Branding, guys. This is how you do product branding. That's right. You put a, a lowercase i. <laughs> Tell me about this. Where did this idea come from? And it's kind of interesting because you guys haven't really got too much to do with the manufacturer on this at all. Yeah. So this actually came from uh, our friend Matthew Panzerino over at TechCrunch. And uh, we've kind of developed a, a friendly relationship with him over the years. Like, you know, we see him at, uh, we saw him at Macworld and WWDC and things like this. Uh, he's a super nice guy. And he kind of just texted me out of the blue one day and was like, Hey, I have this like silly idea, which is basically, you know, all these, all these tech reviewers were running into the, the battery issue with the, with the new at the time, Apple watch, because they were, you know, testing it all day and stuff. And so, you know, a lot of them were having to use portable battery packs, but anyways, there's this issue where the charging puck, is a really loose magnetic connection to the back of the watch. Uh, so if it's just sitting on your nightstand, that's fine. It doesn't matter. But if you're trying to keep it, you know, attached while it's, you know, in a bag or something charging from an external battery pack, it, uh, it's not going to stay connected. So he was like, I wonder if there's some little connector you could make that keeps them snugly together. And so he was just using a rubber band, like, you know, crudely, uh, holding them together. And so he was like, just a random idea, you know, thought you guys might want to take a crack at it. So we, we were like, yeah, you know, that's, that's kind of interesting. And it could be solved with just a, a 3d printed piece of plastic, basically. Like we don't have to go through this whole manufacturing process. It can just be a little thing. So it was kind of like a product idea that was perfect for that type of, uh, production method where it's like, yeah, we, we don't need to make an in- injection mold for this and everything. It's like, yeah, it's just a kind of a perfect, like 3d printed use case. Cause I remember seeing 
a prototype of this at WWDC. Yeah, we we had it. I mean, this was we've had this kind of idea for months. We even had them made for months, but we were like busy with OB, like you know, working on that. And you know, it, we were we had like a blog post written. We just like hadn't kind of pushed it out there um, and kind of finished up everything. And you know, for us, we we knew always that this you know product was barely a product, right? It it, it kind of falls into the camp um, of like almost marketing like we think about that as as somewhat of a marketing vehicle in some ways because we know that it's not going to have a huge audience we're not gonna be able to sell it for a lot of money so there's we can't like put a ton of energy behind it like oh this is going to generate a lot of rev like direct revenue for us um but we do think it's like a valuable thing for some people and it's fun that we can like just have it as a 3d printed thing there's like no um risk for there's no real like upfront risk capital investment for us and so it's just something that we can do to kind of put out there be like hey this is a cool thing if it's useful for some people great uh it doesn't need to reach a lot of people for us to feel like it's successful so we kind of had it in our pocket for a long time um and we didn't i don't think we i don't know if we chose to release it because like obi wasn't doing well i think we just like we just kind of had uh we just kind of pulled the trigger on it because we knew we had some other things coming down the pipe um so yeah, you know, it's just like a, a little thing, but I think we're thinking more and more about um, not being flippant, but uh, letting ourselves be a little bit more casual with some ideas and, and being okay with smaller little ideas and products um, getting out there. Um, not that we, we still want everything to be like real polished and good, but um, not needing to make every product this kind of big blockbuster thing. And I think that's something that Obi really taught us or we, yeah, taught us was just like, we spent, you know, seven months or more really focusing on Obi and then just kind of released it to the world. And, you know, uh, that's one way to do a product. And I think we're going to continue to do products like that, that are complex and require a long time. But I think there's also more room for us to kind of make some smaller things that we can get out the door quickly. Um, and show people faster, basically. So this is being made via Shapeways, which is like a 3D printing on demand service. Um, so obviously you guys have no skin in the game with the production of this in any way. Um, do you make money from it? Like, I don't know how Shapeways works. So Shapeways is awesome, first of all. I just like <laughs> want to say. So, and it's really cool. So this is like, I think Shapeways is like an example one of the kind of nicest examples of how the world has changed. We actually used Shapeways uh, with the original Glyph, like in 2010, when they were a pretty new company, um, to 3D print it. So we didn't have a 3D printer. We we're like, we need 3D printed plastic parts, and then you can kind of do it uh, over the internet, right? And so what Shapeways is, is basically they just own a bunch of 3D printers or contract out 3D printed work to companies. And so all you do is you submit a file to them, they print it, uh, you know, check that it's correct and then send it to you in the mail. Real simple, right? Um, but they also have a store integrated with their website where you as a designer can put up your 3D designs kind of and um, kind of select which material options you want to be available. And then an end consumer can just come onto your store, uh, order the product. Instead of Shapeways 3D printing it and sending it to the company, they send it to the end consumer, right? Real simple. Um, and in that interface... As a, as a seller, as like a designer, you get to pick basically what the markup is for the product. So 
with this like Apple Watch clip, like we make just a couple dollars per uh, per unit sold, um, but it's like pure profit, right? Like we're not dealing with like no any cost, no shipping, anything, right? So it's like an app in that way where, or you know, some apps where it's just like kind of pure money coming in. It's not like uh, we have to worry about profit margins and stuff. So yeah, it's really simple and really nice. But the thing that is so awesome about Shapeways is like you can print like uh, metals there, like gold, <laughs> silver. Uh, bronze, steel, you can do ceramic, you can do glass, you can do all kinds of plastics. It's like absolutely insane. I mean, it's completely changed the uh, kind of indie jewelry industry because I can be like, I'm going to 3D print this like crazy skull ring, uh, like out of like literally silver and it comes out polished pure silver right so i now believe that you have a skull ring that was printed by i i I do not but i (laughs) but i actually don't have any 3d printed jewelry but uh but anyways it's just a really awesome thing and so whenever we kind of we've used shapeways uh in this way a couple times um and i think it's always a little confusing to people because they don't understand what exactly is going on but to me it's like an example of just like why the future for kind of people making physical products is going to be so different and cool is because there'll be more companies like they're like analogous to shapeways, right? Like for all kinds of materials and processes. So, um, it's really, really, really cool. It kind of puts more value in the idea. Exactly. Yeah. Which is really, it's just a really interesting way to think about this type of stuff. I think. Yeah. All of the stuff that's hard right now of like manufacturing and like fulfillment is going to become easy. Like in 10 years, it's going to be all about ideas. Um, so that's uh, uh, interesting and scary, I think for a lot of people, but, uh, it, it is really cool. But this isn't the only project that you've been working on. And, and this is the one that I'm really interested to talk to you about, which is the Apple TV remote stand. Uh, so, Dan, why don't you tell me what this product actually is? Uh, sure. So, uh, describing it literally, it's just a tiny piece of walnut that is milled into basically a, a flat shape with a little slot in it that allows you to prop uh, the new Apple TV remote into it. So it acts as a little stand for it. And then it has some sticky suction material on the bottom. So it'll kind of stay put wherever you put it in your living room. Um, and so this basically came about, uh, just being excited about the new Apple TV. And I think I know for me, and I believe Tom too, like the Apple TV, is basically just our TV. Like neither of us have cable uh, or anything like that. So it's just like the Apple TV is the way we, you know, consume television basically. Um, And so what's cool about this new remote is it's now able to like turn the TV on and off and control the volume and stuff. So for a lot of people, you know, including the two of us, it'll just be the only remote we need. It's like a universal remote essentially. And so, it becomes kind of increasingly important. And then of course, in true Apple fashion, it's like super thin and super small. So it's very easy to get lost, you know, in, in the cushions or whatever, you know, similar to the, to the current Apple TV remote. And so, yeah, it was just a simple idea of like, if you create a little home base for it, a little spot where it should go, maybe that will help you, you know, keep tabs on, on where it is and create kind of a routine of, you know, where you can always find it. Um, and so that was it. And then the, you know, the, the, the other attractive element about it was like, 
hey, this is super simple and maybe we should just buy a CNC machine and make this thing ourselves. So what does a CNC machine do? Like, how does it work? Well, uh, CNC, uh, so generally the terms CNC like means computer numerically controlled. Basically, it's like uh, a machine that's controlled by a computer. That's like what the term CNC means in general. Um, and what we bought is a CNC router. So basically, it's like um, it's like a big three by three foot kind of flat surface and you like clamp down materials to it and then there's like a router like uh you know it's like a little thing with a spinning blade bit on the end and the robot uh, moves that router with its spinning bit in three dimensions right like x y and z um and so what you can do is you can put down like a piece of walnut right and in a piece of software you kind of tell the computer where to move its little router and then it basically cuts out um, the piece of wood into an exact shape. And it will cut it out very accurately and very repeatedly. Um, and so the, the, the other crazy thing is like, you know, routers like that used to cost $20,000 like 10 years ago. But now um, you can buy desktop uh, CNC routers, right? So just like now you can buy desktop 3D printers. Um, you know, it's just a couple feet by a couple feet. So not very large. Usually routers traditionally were like four by eight feet. Um, and, you know, it doesn't have a ton of horsepower, but it kind of does what we need it to do, right? And so we figured, hey, if we could buy one of these machines, not only could we produce this little product in-house, which has some major advantages, which we, sh- we can get to in a second, um, but it also means that we can prototype um, in materials that we couldn't prototype easily before. So, you know, right now we have a 3D printer, so it's really easy to just, like, print some plastic parts, right? But if we want to make something out of wood, plastic, metal... Um, we have to usually have that either do it like really crudely manually or have it done, um, out like, you know, like by someone else. So it's real, I think it's going to be really, really nice having, um, that machine, the CNC to prototype, uh, those materials. So how is this product made? Like, so the, the little, the stand, how does it actually get made? Yeah, so, well, uh, backing up a second, I think the, one of the only reasons why we actually made this product, uh, like pulled the trigger on it, was we did realize that it would be really simple to produce and we could make it in like low quantities if necessary. Um, and, and it's very rare that you kind of find the magic where that's possible. Like with Obi, that's like certainly wasn't possible. Right. But with this, um, there's just a couple ingredients, right. To make this thing. There's a piece of Walnut. There's a little, um, nano section cup pad, uh, that you can buy in sheet form. And then there's like a little business card and bag that act as the packaging. Um, and so it's really simple, right? So we have that CNC where, um, I, um, have you know in and I use Autodesk Fusion, but you can use lots of different things um, to kind of control that CNC router. So I make a little pattern on that, and then I set up the machine. It cuts out like twenty four at a time, or like one hundred and fifty at a time. Oh, so that's how that. So you put it in there, and you can walk away from it, and it's just going to yeah. cut a hundred of them. You've not got to operate exactly. it or move stuff around. Exactly. I can walk away. It cuts a bunch. And then there's some post-finishing sanding and like uh, sealing and stuff that Dan and that will do in-house. But 
So that's that part. And then the little nano suction stuff comes in like a sheet the size of a piece of paper, basically. And we bought, um, we had a, a custom die cut made. Um, and so what we'll do is we'll use that custom die cut to cut out perfectly the little suction pad on the bottom. And then we'll kind of make a little jig to manually stick those to the bottom of the wood piece. Um, so really the whole trick, the design of this thing is very simple. It didn't take us very long to kind of arrive at it. But what's actually kind of more of the design process is designing these systems to make to, to enable us to make this product reliably and with high quality, right? So getting getting the die made to cut out the, you know, sticky material, making sure that we can source that sticky material, you know, in like low, low minimum order quantities. So the design, this really, we're excited about this product because um, it really exposes the part of the design process that's typically invisible to our customers, right? So, you know, we still do a lot of this thinking about, how things are produced, how they're assembled, how they're finished, how they're packaged. We do all that thinking for like Obi and our other products, right? But usually someone else is doing the work. Um, but because we're doing all that work in-house, we have a lot more opportunity to document that process. So I think, and it's really simple in the same at the same time, so it's easy to understand. So we're excited because this, and the reason why we're talking about this product as being our first, you know, in-house produced product is... Um, we have an opportunity to kind of tell the story of the design that happens um, that isn't that's invisible to a lot of people. And so you guys did the marketing for this kind of perfectly. Um, you put the remote for sale on the day that the Apple TV, new Apple TV pre-orders went up. You had a nice little video narrated by Adam Lisagor, who's like just a god in these things, right? In our little <laughs> nerd community. <laughs> So, Dan, was this a conscious effort? Was all of this planned in this way? Or was it like just randomly lucky that you guys were ready on the day that the pre-orders went up? Yeah, it was uh, It was absolutely calculated in that way. Um, I don't remember if we had this discussion on the podcast previously or if it was just something Tom and I had talked about. But we were always thinking about the timing of things and how that is sometimes crucial or can make an, make or break uh, a product. I mean, you know, some of our past examples, like the glyph, I think, you know, was just timed really well because the iPhone four had come out a few months before. Mm -hmm. And there was just this, it was kind of in the zeitgeist of like, Oh, Hey, this is, this is a legit camera now. And so, Part, part of the luck that was involved in that product succeeding was just the you know impeccable timing of it, which we didn't necessarily plan, but I think there is a way when you're designing products to to plan for that. And you know we always say that uh, the way we design products is just trying to be kind of in tune to you know little frictions we experience in the world. And I think the other side of it, which we're trying to do better and learning to do better is, to also be in tune with the timing of things and kind of how our, our product can exist in, in kind of a zeitgeist of, of kind of what's going on at the moment. Um, it's not like we want to make, you know, ephemeral stuff, but uh, it, it definitely helps. Um, and so this was, this was an opportunity to do that where, you know, we had the idea 
really only a few weeks ago <laughs> and we were like yeah. okay well uh we need to move fast if if we if we care about the timing of this and, and want to make it happen so we just started really hustling on it and we didn't know exactly when the apple tv was going to be released but we knew it was end of october yeah and so we were just kind of planning for that and then last week, it, you know, I think Tim Cook announced that it was going to be go for sale on Monday. And so that became our, our target then to uh, to get the website and everything ready so we could launch the same day as the Apple TV. And in a way, what was quite interesting to me to see was the Apple TV remote stand got all of the press that we kind of wish Obi would have. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Yes, <laughs> exactly. I mean, because I saw it everywhere. Yeah, and I think Dan, I, I you said this to someone, but did did I think that the remote stand made as much money or more money than Obi in the first two days, right? Uh, as like, Obi did in the first two yeah. days. So yeah, 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 it's like it's basically doing better than Obi financially. Uh, we need to just break into this a moment. I was hoping that you were going to say this because you told okay. me this privately. So, the crazy thing is, Obi was ninety dollars. Yeah. yeah, and this thing is twelve. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, so that gives an idea of the volume difference, right? So obviously, we're selling more of them, and it's just, you know, it's like we we spent seven months working on Obi, and you know, three weeks working on this thing. Um, so I don't know what the lesson to be learned from that is. I, I mean, I think we just. Uh, there's kind of some of these things are just out of our hands and we just need to keep making stuff and you kind of never know what's going to happen until you put it out there. Um, So obviously we're thrilled that people have responded to this thing and they want it. Um, But it's uh, annoying. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say annoying, but the, the, uh, the quantities are higher than we were expecting, right? So it's like the reason we we did this whole in-house thing and uh, and everything, and, and we're making it ourselves is we expected the quantities to be like fairly low, fairly reasonable. Where already it's just like, all right, well, I know what we're going to be doing for the next couple of weeks. It's manufacturing Apple stands because uh, <laughs> you know the machine can only. Moves. I was actually joking with Tom that we should just buy a second uh, CNC router uh, so we can double the quantity. I mean, we're not going to do that, but uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of crazy these past couple of days. Were you prepared for this? Like when you were thinking about the the volumes? Like, is it now like way more than you planned for, and you're having to make different considerations? No, I mean it's it's still within the realm of what we can do. It's just like. Uh, you know, the machine is going to be running, you know, nonstop for the next, you know, week or so uh, to yeah. kind of. I imagine you're going to end up with one of those photos like you did with the glyph, right? Where you're both sitting there with those big potted glyphs with the, like, just bagging them. Yeah, which is fun. Uh, so, I mean, the one thing, though, I think to uh, mention, though, about this kind of like, oh, you know, this remote stand seemingly, you know, is going to make as much money as Obi or whatever. Um, the, the margins on Obi would be quite a bit higher in some ways. Um, and Obi is, I think, definitely the kind of thing that we were expecting to have a longer life, right, than this remote stand. So I think um, it's a little bit distorted in some ways. Like, 
you know, I, okay. I would be incredibly surprised if a year fr- from now the remote stand made like that much more revenue right than it already kind of has, right? I don't expect it to be, you know, a super big product for us in terms of like total revenue, like on the year, right, percentage wise. Um, so I, I still think it's not like, oh, we spent three weeks on this remote stand and seven months on Obi and this thing's going to make more money than Obi would have, which I, I think is like super not true. Um, so it's just like, what it just, but I think it really does go to show us that, um, it, it can be worth it sometimes uh, with these like little ideas to kind of spend the time. But on the other hand, you know, even though we have the pre-orders and, and things went really well, um, because it's not that expensive of a product in general, um, you know, it's not like we're like set for the year, right? Revenue wise, like it wasn't. It's not like a huge thing for us. Um, so you know, it is. It is still small, but it just did really well for our expectations. Like. It really uh, did well, and you know, and really, I mean, part of the, I mean, one of the main motivations for us doing this little product um, is that it has a network effect, right? So more people are coming to our website, which means they're buying other products, um, and that can be a lot more valuable. So that's really, I think, where I think the kind of long term benefit of this product is, besides the direct revenue, is just you know, kind of getting us out there in front of people again and having them come to our website, et cetera, et cetera. So looking at the success of this product and thinking back to some of the conversations that we've had, um, and I know that I remember, Dan, that we were talking about on the show about kind of where Studio Neat's direction's going and, and you guys wanted to branch out. And the worry that you had was that, that maybe this product was outside of the audience that you already had, right, the Obi. Um, obviously the TV remote stand is inside of the existing audience that you had and the customers that you had and the success of this product is displaying again, that playing to your audience is a good thing to do. Are you rethinking anything going into the future now as to the type of product areas that you will be operating within? Yeah. I mean, this is a, a conversation and a thought process that Tom and I have been having, you know, since the release of Obi, it's just like, you know, what do we want to do moving forward? Um, how can we take advantage of, you know, the audience that we have and, and, you know, serve them and, and the products that they want. And, um, it's, yeah, it's kind of an ongoing conversation. I mean, I think it is clear that staying in kind of the Apple world, makes a lot of sense, right? Like that's, you know, we started with the glyph. And so a, a large part of our original audience is people that are, that like Apple products and see the value in these accessories that kind of extend the capabilities of the Apple products that they already own. Um, so that we think is true. Um, and then, you know, it's obviously, it's like, if you make something Apple related, all, all of our press contacts are kind of more likely to talk about it. Like, you know, Gruber was obviously much more likely to link to this thing than, than Obi. Um, and so that's, you know, that's something to consider. Um, but on the flip side, if you look at things like, you know, the neat ice kit and stuff that is completely outside of the Apple, uh, audience, I would say, but it, it still worked. And so maybe that, like I said previously, that was maybe like a, a misleading indicator of kind of these directions we should go in. But 
it is somewhat encouraging in that we don't have to feel like we're just stuck in Apple land. Um, but I, I think we definitely have kind of course corrected a little bit and we are starting to think more about these Apple related products and the, and the things we have that we're starting to work on and, and product ideas are in the, in the kind of the Apple space. So, you know, we'll see, but that, that's definitely uh, an, an ongoing conversation that we're having. I think the long and short of it simply is that, you know, to make a product that's like outside of kind of our audience and wheelhouse is a risk, right? And so just for the next little while, and we took that risk with Obi and it didn't work out. And so for the next little while, I think we're going to be a little bit more conservative and play something a little bit close, like closer to what we, we know or we think, you know, will be a little bit easier for our kind of, um, audience to you know be into right so i think that's just kind of where we are right now is we're just not going to take the risk of jumping to a different category right away and maybe save that for a little bit later and looking at the way that you guys are kind of manufacturing both of these products they're different manufacturing processes um and obviously you now have this new machinery are you now thinking smaller with some products going into the future like you can do smaller things not everything has to be manufactured in all different places and assembled and sent out by a big team of people. Are you thinking about doing more smaller batch stuff produced in-house? It's dangerous territory, I think. Um, you know, there's there's a kind of a certain amount of overhead and, like, costs to produce something, uh, like, no matter what. And so, like, for instance, with the remote stand, it's, we're selling it for $12.00. Because we feel like that's the right price. But that also means we're not going to make a lot of money no matter what, right, from it. Because we just, you know, there, there's kind of just, like, inherent, like, cost. Like, for instance, handling is $2. So if we made, we cannot sell a $2 item, right? Like, it's impossible. We would make zero. We would lose money, right? So um, so it, it it's a little bit dangerous to make smaller and more products because, A, it gets more complex to manage them as they have a life with us. And... Um, just the, the margins aren't as good and we, and we need pretty healthy margins to kind of, to make it make sense and work out. So, um, so I, I think we have been encouraged to do more of it. And now that we have some stuff in house, we might do it more and more, but I think I, my guess is that we'll continue to think about them, these little products as kind of not loss leaders, but more kind of focused on like marketing, um, than straight revenue and then kind of continue to develop products that are a little bit higher price point, a little bit more complex. Uh, and, and that's where our kind of like revenue centers will be, but you know, that could change. But, uh, at this point, I think it, you know, it could, I could see where we get really excited about making small little things and it just kind of eats us alive in some ways. Dan, would the Apple TV stand exist if the OB Kickstarter was a success? That's a great question. Probably not, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, no way. Uh, I think I think we would just be too focused on that to uh, to be dealing with these little these little trivialities. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't think so. I bet I wouldn't be surprised if we had the idea for it, but we wouldn't have decided to do it, and definitely not in this way, just because it's somewhat time intensive to produce it in house. So. We just would have been way too busy, preoccupied with Obi, like definitely. So, how do you feel sure. about that? Like, is this a is this a good thing? Like, is all of this ending up as a good thing? 
Well, it's all we we've always we've always operated under the assumption that we have to say no to things, right? And we're always making decisions of what to make and what not to make, right? Like there's no we have way more ideas than time in the day to produce all these things. And so that is a way of working that we're comfortable with. And so the fact that if OB happened, we would have had to say no to this thing, like that doesn't bother me of all bother me at all. That's just the way of of doing business and how we operate. So the fact that OB didn't work and it made room for this thing, um, I think that's fine too. You know, it's design is compromised and uh, the way we run our business is compromised. Like we're always having to make decisions like that and, and always having to say no to things. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's just the way things worked out this time and, um, and some alternate timeline, it, it worked out differently. All right. So sitting here right now, I mean, obviously we'll, you know, we're looking to continue this podcast project into the future and focusing on the sort of stuff that you guys are doing. Right. So I think that's going to be really interesting. Now the show's taking a turn to match the way that studio neat is changing a little bit. What did the next few months look like for Tom and Dan? Uh, well, you know, the holidays are here. So we, um, we actually have an extremely busy holiday. Uh, we're actually releasing another little product for in the cocktail-related stuff, which we will save as a surprise um, in the next couple of weeks before Black Friday. Um, and then, you know, so we have some cocktail stuff coming. Um, and then we actually, we already know what our next kind of little bit larger product is. Um, and so mm-hmm. we're, I think, excited to kind of continue to prototype that and, and, and think about what that is. Um, so I think we kind of, I don't know if it's like, maybe we're just like grasping at straws and like coming up with ideas really quickly and maybe we shouldn't, but to me, they actually feel like really good ideas. So maybe it was just like a really fruitful time, uh, creatively for us. But anyways, um, so yeah, we, I think we're both really excited uh, about the next, I don't know, four or three or four months. Cause we kind of, we're in that stage where we have ideas that we want to pursue. Um, and some of those might fall through, but I think they're feeling pretty good. So yeah, I think we will have a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, you know, in terms of you kind of manufacturing and, and idea creation and, and kind of how we're approaching, um, kind of all aspects of our business, especially, uh, we're actually, I mean, we started this before Obi, but we're, we're starting to think about some different kind of, um, marketing kind of website e-commerce stuff too. Um, and so, yeah, I think, uh, even though Obi was a big blow, I, I think the future is bright and we, um, have a lot of stuff in the pipe that should be really exciting. And, and I'll tell you what, I mean, this Apple remote thing, um, kind of being the little this little success that it is uh i think feels really good uh maybe it's like the universe kind of being like hey don't get too down guys so um so yeah so that that feels pretty good and i'm and i'm pumped about the future i do you agree dan yeah yeah this past week has been a a much needed uh kind of like uplifting boost after going through the whole obi thing it's it's just nice to have a win even if it's kind of a small win it's it's still nice
Thoroughly Considered is a joint production of Relay FM and Studio Neat. If you'd like to find links and information about this week's episode, head on over to our show notes page at relay.fm slash tc slash three. You'll also find all of our links there to follow us on Twitter. I am at iMike, Dan is at Dan Provost, and Tom is at Tom Gerhardt. And of course, you can find them at Studio Neat. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next time. <laughs>